It demands faith, and it calls for experience in trusting God. You say, well, I don't have much experience in trusting God. I'm just 13 years old. In that case, get with some people who do have the experience in trusting God. It requires that I stop relying on my own perception of the situation and begin relying on the Lord. Some new revelation coming in Genesis 17, 1 through 16. And if you'll turn there, we'll be following through in those verses. Now, we don't get new revelation like Abraham did because the canon of Scripture is closed. But you may have had the experience of finding things in your Bible that you have seen ever since you were a child, but now they look a little different. And the Lord is speaking something new to you as you go a little deeper into that passage. In verse 1, we see that the Lord came to Abram again when he was 99 years old. He was 86 when Ishmael was born. So that means that he has been rocking along for 13 or 14 years without any external assurance of his faith. We say, well, hey, the Lord spoke to him in an audible voice. Well, that's right, but that was 14 years ago. And he didn't have a Bible. And that's a long time to go without any assurance. Can you remember what somebody said 14 years ago? I hope that maybe he wrote down his experience when God had last spoken to him in that vision that we covered in our last lesson. Verses 1 and 2, when Abram was 99 years old, the Lord appeared to Abram and said to him, I am Almighty God. Now that is a new name for God, El Shaddai, the Almighty God. And I will make my covenant between me and you and will multiply you exceedingly. Now here comes our first point on believing God for the impossible. Didn't have room to put all this in your study guide but you'll be able to follow through as we go. Number one, plan to persevere in your faith. No matter what happens or fails to happen, don't ever give up on God. Plan to persevere in your faith. You've got to have a plan. It's not something that's just going to happen. And you'll need some help from some mighty men like King David had to help him except you're going to need some mighty prayer warriors. We lived in Birmingham. I knew some elderly ladies who were widows, Caroline Montgomery, Susan Ford, Norma Scott. I knew them pretty well. And what they mostly did was pray. And if you had something you need to be prayed about, you could get the word to those ladies and you knew they were going to be sending it up because that's what they did. That's the kind of help that you're going to need for believing God the impossible. Maybe you've been waiting on something 13 years or maybe 33 years. Now, I don't normally use the Amplified Bible, but we're so familiar with this verse that I want you to hear it a little bit differently and maybe it would have a new impact. Galatians 6, 9. And let us not lose heart and grow weary and faint in acting nobly and doing right, for in due time and at the appointed season, we shall reap if we do not loosen and relax our courage and faint. 
When you think you can hold on no longer and you find yourself by yourself in the middle of the night, what do you do then? Well, here's what you do. At one time in the Old Testament, David was living a double life. He and his men went over to fight as part of the Philistine army because he thought if he stayed in Israel, Saul was going to kill him. He had tried to do so on several occasions. So David and his 600 men had a camp at Ziklag. And from there, they went out as a raiding party, actually attacking the enemies of Israel, but pretending that they were attacking the enemies of the Philistines. And King Achish would say, Hey, David, where have you been raiding today? And he would say, Oh, the Negev of Judah, or maybe the Negev of the Canaanites. Remember, this is uh, military espionage going on here. Now, I'm not sure whether that was right or wrong, but that's what David said, and he made sure that there was no one who lived to set the record straight. But now one day, when they came back from being with the Philistines, he found that his own camp had been raided by the Amalekites. And they had burned the thing with fire, and they had taken all of the men's wives and sons and daughters, and they were gone. And besides that, David had just been kicked out of the Philistine army. It looks like a pretty sad day in David's life. His men talked about stoning him. They probably thought that this wouldn't have happened if we hadn't been in this lonely outpost down in the wilderness here south of Judea. But at any rate, it looked like everyone was against him. Battle fatigue. Have you ever had battle fatigue? A long war makes you weary. And this wasn't even really a war because David couldn't fight back against the Lord's anointed. But Saul had been chasing him a long time. The Philistine commanders had just said, you can't fight with us because we don't trust you when we go up against the Israelites. Saul would love to kill him if he could get his hands on him. The Amalekites had taken Ahinoam and Abigail and everything that was dear to David and had a three-day head start. And now his own men were ready to get rid of their leader permanently and maybe give up the fugitive life. Maybe go back to pledge allegiance to King Saul. Oh, David, that rebel, we executed that guy. And they probably would have been accepted back in Saul's army. So David is having a rather bad day. What do you do when it looks like everything has turned against you and there's nobody there to turn to? Well, here's what you do. 1 Samuel chapter 30 and verse 6. This will be a good passage to mark in your Bible. Moreover, David was greatly distressed because the people spoke of stoning him, for all the people were embittered, each one because of his sons and daughters. But David strengthened himself in the Lord his God. Now let's stop right there. How do you strengthen yourself in the Lord your God? Well, through Scripture and through prayer. And you remember David said that he had the Scripture hidden in his heart. So that kind of facilitates the process. But it's interesting to note that even if you have the Scripture in your heart memorized, there may come a time where you need to be strengthened in the Lord. Going on in verse 7. Then David said to Abiathar the priest, the son of Ahimelech, Please bring me the ephod. So Abiathar brought the ephod to David. And David inquired of the Lord, saying, Shall I pursue this band? Shall I overtake them? And he said to him, Pursue for you shall surely overtake them, and you shall surely rescue all. 
Now, the ephod originally was the high priest breastplate that carried the human and urim and thummim, and that was a means of contacting God in that day. And so that's how you got in touch with the Lord. Plan to persevere in your faith. Don't ever give up on God, especially when it looks like He is leading you in some direction, but the fulfillment just hadn't come yet. You might be bailing out on God right before He sends the rescue. So just hang on. Isaiah 40 and verse 30. Even the youths shall faint and be weary, and the young men shall utterly fall. But those who wait on the Lord shall renew their strength. They shall mount up with wings like eagles. They shall run and not be weary. They shall walk and not faint. Abram has been waiting a long time. His plan with Sarai got him into trouble. And he slipped up several times along the way, but he still has faith. He has strong faith, and that is going to pay off. It's good to study these Old Testament characters because we see that even though they were great men of faith, they were not perfect. And they had some of the same concerns occasionally that we do. Now, right there at the beginning, again in verse 1, I'm God Almighty, walk before me and be blameless. We want to put that in New Testament terminology. So we're going to say, walk in the Spirit and be wholehearted about it. Now, walking in the Spirit just means living in the Spirit. The Holy Spirit dwells within And we're living in such a way that we're not grieving the Spirit. We're not quenching the Spirit. We are producing the fruit of the Spirit as God's Spirit works in our hearts. That's all it means. Walk means to live in the Old Testament and the New Testament. So walk in the Spirit and don't do it grudgingly, young people. When mom makes you get up out of bed and come to church, do it wholeheartedly. Walk before him and be perfect, it says in the King James. Walk before him and be blameless, it will say in a modern translation. Put your heart into the process. Seek the Lord. In Romans 8 and verse 4, Paul tells us that the righteousness of the law might be fulfilled in us who walk not after the flesh, but after the Spirit. For they that are after the flesh do mind the things of the flesh. But they that are after the Spirit, the things of the Spirit. Do you mind the things of the flesh? Somebody says, oh, I don't mind the things of the flesh. Bring it on. No, I'm not talking about that. I'm talking about is your mind set on the things of this world or is your mind set on spiritual things? That's the question. Now, if you do have your mind set on the Spirit, then there's good news for you in the very next verse. For to be carnally minded is death, but to be spiritually minded is life and peace. If you have the abundant life of Christ now, and you have eternal life then, and you have a deep, settled confidence that God is in absolute control, a sovereign God is in absolute control of every detail of your life, then that's living, and that's peace. 
And that's what Paul is talking about here. Then you're ready to persevere in your faith. Number three, humble yourself in the presence of God. Bow your heart to his will. In verse three, Abram fell on his face and God talked with him saying, humble yourself in God's presence. Bow your heart to his will. We'll leave that one up here so that you'll see it there. So God talked with him, and here's what he said. He gave him a new, more comprehensive description of the same covenant promise that he had made with him back in chapter 12, verses 1 through 3. But now it's been expanded a little further. Abraham knows some more things now. He's not going to be just father of a nation. He's going to be father of a multitude of nations. God's revelation is progressive in the Scripture. And sometimes it's progressive in our lives because occasionally we get in one of those impossible situations and then we have to really call on the Lord in a way that we haven't called on Him before. And then we see some things in the Word that we haven't seen before. So often our understanding is progressive as well. Maybe you just need to hear God say it one more time. And the way we hear Him say it is through the Scripture by the power of the Holy Spirit. I do know one thing, when it's not happening the way you like it, don't get on your high horse about it. Humble yourself in the presence of God. First Peter, chapter 5 and verse 5. Likewise, you younger people, submit yourself to your elders. Yes, all of you be submissive to one another and be clothed with humility. Now he's talking to younger people first because this is kind of a habit. This is kind of a pattern of your thoughts and your approach to life. You just have to learn it. Then he goes on to say, God resists the proud, but gives grace to the humble. And that's in the Old Testament. That's in the New Testament. Humble yourselves, therefore, under the mighty hand of God, that he may exalt you in due time. And listen to verse 7, casting all your care upon him, because he cares for you. He knows that you're in an impossible situation. He's waiting because he wants to do something, perhaps something big in your life and maybe in the lives of those who are watching. And we all have people watching us to see how we're going to respond, how we're going to respond to adversity, how we're going to respond to difficult situations. Number four, listen to what God has to say And keep on listening. Here's the description of God's covenant with Abraham. God would change Abram's name from Abram, exalted father, to Abraham, father of a multitude. He would establish his covenant with Abraham. He would multiply Abraham exceedingly. He would make Abraham father of a multitude of nations. He would make Abraham exceedingly fruitful. He would make a nation of him so that kings would arise from him, nations plural of him. He would establish his covenant with Abraham's descendants, and he would give Abraham's descendants the land of Canaan and be their God. And in verse 15, Sarah gets a new name. Her name is changed to Sarah, which means princess or noble woman. Then in verse 16, Sarah is told that God would bless her and give her a son. 
and she would become a mother of nations so that kings would come from her. Notice that Ishmael, who's 13 years old at this time, does not get a new name. Because Ishmael, we found out in our last lesson, represents the flesh. And the flesh doesn't change. It just remains the same. You can think in John 3, 6, that which is born of flesh is flesh. And it will always be flesh. And in Romans 7, 18, for I know that is in me, that is in my flesh, dwelleth no good thing. That in me dwelleth no good thing in my flesh. And John 6:63, it is the spirit who gives life. The flesh profits nothing. Same stipulation. Isaac is going to be the one through whom the promised seed will come. And this is kind of hard to believe because they've been waiting for a long time. And now the menopause has passed. How bad is that for the reproductive propagation of a nation? And nothing has happened here. And when God announced that Sarah would have a son, how was the news received? It was hard to believe. Do you know that God knows what you're thinking in your heart? He really knows what we're thinking. And in chapter 18 and verse 12, Sarah laughed to herself, saying, After I become old, shall I have pleasure, my Lord being old also? And the Lord said to Abraham, Why did Sarah laugh? The Lord said to Abraham, Why did Sarah laugh, saying, Shall I indeed bear a child when I'm old? Is anything too difficult for the Lord? At the appointed time, I will return to you about this time next year, and Sarah shall have a son. Sarah denied it, however, saying, I did not laugh, for she was afraid. And he said, No, but you did laugh. And that brings us to number five. Believe God for the impossible. Nothing is too hard for him. And God himself is the one speaking this rhetorical question, is anything too difficult for the Lord? If there's something in your life that seems impossible today, don't laugh. Don't cry either. Because you know that God is going to eventually do something about the situation or he's going to give you the grace to sustain whatever waiting there may be or whatever conditions there may be while you're waiting. And he's going to make you a testimony of his divine grace. We can't guarantee what God is going to do. We do know in the New Testament there will be some losses and some crosses. But when we go through those things, we can be victorious. And others can see that victory and be encouraged because they too are going to be facing some impossible situations. God does guarantee that it will turn out for good eventually if you are a true Christian. The Babylonian army was at the gate. God told Jeremiah to purchase some real estate in Jerusalem. What? When Nebuchadnezzar gets through that place, it's going to be toast. What are we going to do with real estate in Jerusalem? Open up a salvage company or something? Everybody's wondering what's going on. But God said... For thus says the Lord God of hosts, the God of Israel, houses and fields and vineyards shall again be brought, bought in this land. 
after I had given the deed of purchase to Barak, the son of Neriah, then I prayed to the Lord, saying, Ah, Lord God, behold, thou hast made the heavens and the earth by thy great power and thine outstretched arm. Nothing is too difficult for thee. Well, skip on down to verse 26. These are verses you really should mark in your Bible. Then the word of the Lord came to Jeremiah, saying, Behold, I am the Lord, the God of all flesh. Is anything too difficult for me? Well, wait a minute. That's the Old Testament, somebody's going to say. What about the New Testament? Well, what would Jesus say about this? And looking upon them, his disciples, Jesus said to them, With men this is impossible, but with God all things are possible. And Ephesians 3.20, the benediction now unto him that is able to do exceeding abundantly above all that we ask or think, according to the power that worketh in us, unto him be glory in the church by Christ Jesus throughout all ages, world without end. Amen. Let's go home. There it is right there. That's, that's the end. Amen. Nothing is impossible with God. Believe God for the impossible. Now, here is an interesting fact. Both Abraham and Sarah laughed, but it seems like there was a difference in their laughter. Here is John Calvin who comments on that. We infer that Abraham laughed not because he either despised or regarded as fabulous or rejected the promise of God. But as is commonly wont to happen in things which are least expected, partly exulting with joy and partly being carried beyond himself in admiration, he breaks forth into laughter. This admiration, which did not obstruct the course of God's power, was not contrary to faith. Nay, the strength of faith shone the more brightly in having surmounted an obstacle so arduous. Now, Where did he get that from? Because if you read it, it sounds like Abraham laughed just like Sarah laughed. Well, we've got to be sure that we take a look at everything that's in the book. Because sometimes if we just read one thing, we could insinuate something that is not the case. So we skip to a longer passage, and I want to read through this quickly, because it's pretty good in terms of the whole picture, the big picture of what God is doing with Abraham. Romans chapter 4 and verse 16, Therefore, it is a faith that it might be according to grace, so that the promise might be sure to all the seed, not only to those who are of the law, but also to those who are of the faith of Abraham, who is the father of, of us all. He's talking about the Jewish people who are of the law. As it is written, I have made you the father of many nations, in the presence of God, in whom he believed, and who gives life to the dead and calls into existence the things that do not exist. In hope he believed against hope that he should become the father of many nations, as he had been told, so shall your offspring be. He did not weaken in faith when he considered his own body, which was as good as dead since he was about a hundred years old, and when he considered the barrenness of Sarah's womb. No distrust made him waver concerning the promise of God. But he grew strong as his faith, in his faith as he gave glory to God, fully convinced that God is able to do what he promised. 
That is why his faith was counted to him as righteousness. And the words, it was counted to him, were not written for his sake alone, but for ours also it will be counted to us who believe in him who raised from the dead Jesus our Lord, who was delivered up for our trespasses and raised for our justification. Now, when you put that together with what's going on back in Genesis, it looks like Abraham's laughter appeared to be that of joy and surprise. And it could be that Jesus was alluding to that when he said to the Pharisees one day, your father Abraham rejoiced that he would see my day. He saw it and was glad. And don't forget, we read a couple of lessons ago in Galatians 3 and verse 8, and the scripture foreseeing that God would justify the Gentiles by faith, preached the gospel beforehand to Abraham, saying, all nations shall be blessed in you. Now, he didn't know everything we know, but maybe he's beginning to get a glimpse of what's coming. In Abraham, all nations of the world would be blessed. Sarah's laughter appears to be a laughter of disbelief. And she was reprimanded for it. But she laughed again when the baby was born, and it was a time of great rejoicing. And Isaac's name is laughter. That's what Isaac means. At this point, it seems like Abraham didn't quite understand yet everything God was doing. Number six, cry out to God, express what's in your heart, because God knows what's there anyway. You might as well just put it out on the table and talk to him about it. And this is exactly what Abraham does. And Abraham said to God, verse 18, Oh, that Ishmael might live before thee. He asked that Ishmael might be the one to live before the Lord and receive the blessing. And here we can see the longing of a father's heart. He loved Ishmael. He appeared to hope that God would condescend to withdraw the promise of another son and let Ishmael be the heir. How many times have we ever said to God, Lord, I think I got a better plan I stumbled upon here. Look at this. And we're talking to the God of the universe who created all this intricate business in the beginning. Now, we can say to God anything we need to say because that may be what's on our heart. But we need to remember, God has pretty good plans. And it may not always look so good to us because it may involve a cross. But in the end, it's going to be victory if we're willing to stick it out and believe what he has to say. If that couldn't be, maybe God would spare Ishmael's life at least, and maybe he and his posterity would be included among the people of God, sharing the blessing. Maybe he could be a co-heir with Isaac. Abraham loves his boy. But God says, no, not going to be any sharing of any blessing. It's going to be the son of Sarah. Now, we have a painful situation here. The affections of a father's heart seems to be in conflict with God's divine decrees. What are we going to do? Are we going to wait and see what God does? Are we going to get off on some other plan that we come up with? Hey, why couldn't God just shift gears 
over to Ishmael and let him be the one. The American Civil Liberties Union could have easily done that. Just shift gears. It's unfair to this guy. He ought to be the one. He got here first. Well, God is not uh, doing it the way that men would do it. God made his covenant with Abraham and with his seed. And the characteristic of God's promise is sovereign grace. Now, we've got to hang on to that because that's going to come to play in the New Testament. The characteristic of God's promise is his sovereign grace. So the fulfillment of God's promise could never lie in the sphere of man's ability, his natural ability. In the scripture, natural ability and inclinations are known as what? The flesh. That's the flesh that wars against the spirit. Again, from the New Testament, Galatians 4.22, for it is written that Abraham had two sons, the one of a bondwoman, the other by a free woman. But he who was of the bondwoman was born according to the flesh, and he of the free woman through promise. And you remember that this was an analogy, this was a picture of two covenants, the old covenant, Mosaic covenant, and then the new covenant in Christ with better promises, Sarah representing with her son the new covenant. Now, can you see how this relates to the new birth by God's sovereign grace? There's a careful analogy here. John 1, 12 and 13. But as many as received him, to them he gave the right to become children of God, to those who believe in his name, who were born, not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. Ishmael was born of blood. He was born of the will of the flesh. He was born of the will of man. But God allowed Abraham and Sarah to wax old, well stricken in age, well beyond any childbearing years. And then he would send Isaac, who was truly born of God. The same thing happened to Elizabeth and Zacharias, the parents of John the Baptist. Something even more unique happened to Mary and Joseph, whose child was conceived by the Holy Spirit. And I believe that that's exactly what happens to us in the new birth. The Holy Spirit regenerates our hearts so that we can see our need for a Savior and for forgiveness of sin. Because we're born not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God, if you're born into his kingdom through the new verse. Now, in verses 19 and 20, if you're there, uh, we see God's gracious response to Abraham's response, still in chapter 17. The covenant would be established with Isaac, but Ishmael would too be blessed. God would make him fruitful and multiply him exceedingly. And Ishmael would become a father of 12 princes, and God would make of him a great nation. Now, as we're winding down here, let's go back briefly to our last lesson. A Christian has two choices. He can walk in the flesh, according to the way he sees things, the way he thinks it ought to be, or he can walk in the Spirit. And if he walks in the Spirit, then he knows that God has free reign in his life to work his plan. It's not easy to consistently walk in the Spirit, but we have to recalibrate from time to time, get back on the narrow path, Romans 8, 1. 
There is therefore now no condemnation to them who are in Christ Jesus, who walk not after the flesh, but after the Spirit. That is our goal. Galatians 5.16 I say then, walk in the Spirit, and you shall not fulfill the lust of the flesh. Isaac stands for the world, and everything the world has to offer this present life. Now think for a moment, not in terms of sin and carnal living, but think about earthly fulfillment and satisfaction in earthly things and the love of earthly pleasures and appetites and such things as can grow on you until one day, deep down in your soul, you say, you know, this is a pretty good life I've got here. I just kind of hate to think about leaving it. And suddenly the, the fact that one day you have to depart this life becomes something that is objectionable. Now that's the root, but here's the fruit. Anxiety, irritability, impatience when I don't get my way, self-centeredness, because you see everything better be flowing pretty good because this life is all there is. And if somebody slows me up for what I need to get, uh, whatever that may be, it may be getting something to eat next. Or it could be anything. But then I get a little bit impatient because somehow the world has gotten its grip on my life. If I'm walking in the Spirit, He will enable me, the Holy Spirit, to see things as in the world in their proper perspective and enjoy these things God given us to enjoy, but be preparing for that world to come and eternal things and eternal attitudes that I have. And then when I lose something down here, I say, well, the Lord giveth and the Lord taketh away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. I've got something that nobody can take away, and that's the abundant life in Christ and the eternal life in Christ. Isaac represents the promise of heaven. Sometimes comes in unexpected ways. Sometimes comes in an impossible way. Sometimes God will use a strange or bitter disappointment in your life to draw you closer to him. I'm sure it was disappointing to Abram that God couldn't use Ishmael because he loves Ishmael and here's Ishmael. And we don't have to go through this other business. But that's not God's plan. And when God gives you a disappointment, what do you need to do? Well, we're going to review in just a minute. Here's the final calculation. And you see it in those verses. In chapter 18, we see that God is beginning, is given the timetable for the beginning of the fulfillment of His covenant. Guests arrived on the plains of memory, three men. Abraham bowed himself to the ground in verse 2. The word for bowed is shakah. And that's the usual word for worship in the Old Testament. It's introduced here. So something's up. Here are some strangers, and Abraham is bowing down to these people in a posture of worship. Well, if you look in Genesis 18.1, Genesis 18.22, Genesis 19.1, it looks like the three strangers appeared to be the Lord Jesus Christ and two angels that had come along with him. I do know one thing. These people are talking, Abraham's talking to these guys, and suddenly it's the Lord speaking. So this might be a theophany, appearance, an appearance of the pre-incarnate Christ in the Old Testament. 
I don't know too much about that, but I know that when the Lord speaks, it is with authority. They had a meal prepared for them. They listened to what they had to say. And then Sarah laughed to herself when she heard this impossible news. But God said that Isaac would be born about this time next year. Believe it or not. It's an impossible situation, but it's going to happen. How do we know that God, excuse me, that Abraham believed God and what he had told him? And here's number seven. Obey what God has already said and expect him to reveal more in answer to your prayer and his promise. Obey what God has already said. What has God said? God has just said you need to have every male circumcised. That's going to be a sign of the covenant, outward sign of this covenant with Abraham. Abraham and every male in his entire household, the Bible says, that day obeyed God's instructions regarding circumcision. Obey what God has already said and expect Him to reveal more in answer to your prayer and to His promise. Now, quickly, in Deuteronomy, we see that circumcision is going to be something more than an outward sign. The Lord your God will circumcise your heart and the heart of your descendants to love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, in order that you may live. That was part of the Old Covenant. But in the New Covenant, we see that outwardly, in Christ Jesus, neither circumcision nor uncircumcision means anything but faith working through love, and that's a result of the circumcision of the heart. Now, quick review. Plan to persevere in your faith. Don't ever give up on God. Notice that plan is underlined because you better have a plan. If you don't have a plan, see me after the service. I'll help you get a plan. You need to have a plan for this afternoon, for this week, because you have no idea what is coming up this week. Cody had no idea he'd be in New Orleans Friday for the death, <clears throat> for the funeral, uh, commemorating the death of his 21-year-old cousin who drowned in a swimming accident. You could pray for him and Chandler as they're driving home today with Cody's mom and his brother. Uh, number two, walk in the Spirit. Be wholehearted about it. Number three, humble yourself in the presence of God. might be a good idea to humble yourself in the presence of people sometimes. <laughs> Bow your heart to God's will. Number four, listen to what God has to say and keep on listening. That means stay in the Scripture. Make that a part of your life. That's part of your plan. Then believe God for the impossible. Nothing is too difficult for Him. Cry out to God. Express what is in your heart. You may have some Ishmaels you want God to bless. Oh, Lord, couldn't you do it this way? Well, that's okay. But then be prepared for whatever He tells you to do and finally obey what God has already said and expect Him to reveal more in answer to your prayer and to His promise. Perhaps you're here today and you would say, I'd like to do all these things, but I just don't feel connected with God these days. Maybe that's because you're not connected with God. It's simple to get connected with God, but it's not easy. You have to admit that you are a sinner. You have to come to Him to ask forgiveness for your sin. You have to be willing to obey 
him. I don't know what all he's going to ask me to do right now, but I've got to have a heart of willingness to follow him. I'm going to be going in his direction. And I just simply confess my sins to him in prayer and I invite him to come into my heart and take control of my life and make me the kind of person that he wants me to be. If the Holy Spirit is doing that work in your heart, you'll know it because you'll see the need. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your sovereign grace that works in our lives just like you worked in the life of Abraham and Sarah. We thank you for the accounts of men and women in Scripture who obeyed you, who believed you for the impossible, those who cried out to you, those who walked with you. And we want to be those great men and women of faith. And Lord, we ask that you would show us some great men and women of the faith that we can emulate in the Scripture, in Christian biography, in real life. And we pray that we might exercise ourselves in faith, believing you for what you've told us you would do. Many promises in the Scripture, and we want to be claiming them. And Father, if there's someone here today who senses your spirit tugging at their heart, I pray that this might be the day that they would respond to that tug and that they would come to you confessing their need for salvation, their need for forgiveness of their sin. Lord, we have a lot of things to pray about today, and we ask that your Holy Spirit would guide our prayer, and we pray for the men who would be leading us, and uh, we ask, Lord, that we might uh, cover all the bases of everything that needs to be lifted up to you. And we pray these things in Christ's name and for his sake. Amen.